Um, so I just wanted to uh, acknowledge a couple folks. I haven't, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not standing up here uh, looking uh, in particular, but I do want to just say it's very much a blessing to have heard from this side of the room a very distinct voice, which I recognize as Cleveland Sanders' voice back in the house. So I just want to say, Cleveland, welcome back, my brother. It's great to see your face in the place. And then also, Vilma, you had your surgery. Welcome back. We're so glad to have you back. We got a, a bit of a report from JP when he led, last led worship. Um, and then I also, um, I don't see them in here right now, so they might still be in children's ministry with their children. But um, as most of you know, I uh, have the privilege of uh, being a co-chair of a group called Greater Riverdale Thrive. Um, and we have different work groups within that coalition and the, uh, the work group co-chair for the economic empowerment, uh, Jose Galdamez and his wife Yolanda are here. Um, and so they're not in the building. We don't, they're not in here, so they're not reading the lead track. Uh, so don't worry about it. But I'm just glad that they are here. Their children, uh, well, their son um, participated in the, in the art program that we had this past um, week. So with those things being said, let's pray and then we'll jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Father, we thank you for this day which you've made. There are many things that we have been able to make as human beings, but we've not yet made a day. It's not our day. But then on some level, it is our day. You give it to us to use as we please, and so we thank you that you have placed it on the heart of some to come to church, to go to church, wherever they are in our prayer, whether they are here or somewhere else, is that they would hear your voice. So, Father, we pray that you would please speak to your people here. I do pray that you would please, please increase and that I would decrease. I pray that you would use me. I pray that you would give me the strength, the um, clarity of thought, Lord, to, um, to speak in a cohesive manner, to speak in a way that that encourages your people to speak in a way that glorifies you. Father, we ask you that you would please do what no human being can do. There is no way that I can speak to every individual here, yet you are able to do so. So I ask you that you would do that, and we celebrate and we thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life, to die a death he didn't deserve because he was dying a death that we deserve. And because he did not sin and did not deserve that death, death could not hold him down, and he defeated death by raising, being resurrected from the dead. We celebrate that today, and I pray that you would help us. I pray that this message and the messages we've heard and the messages we'll hear in the future will position us to live in the good of the reality of his resurrection every day. In his name we pray, in Jesus' name we pray, and we thank you, Father. Amen. So you can open your Bibles or your apps, or you can look at the screen, and we will start. At verse 12 in 1 Corinthians chapter 
15. And it reads as follows. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God, because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished, have perished also. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. So if you know anything about the book of 1 Corinthians, we know that there were some questions that Paul, the book we call 1 Corinthians, uh, there were some questions that the church uh, at Corinth asked Paul about, and he addresses many, many, many issues within the book. And then chapter 15, he talks about the resurrection. Apparently, there were some in the church who did not believe that there was a such thing as a resurrection from the dead. They did not believe that there was a resurrection. Um, they did not believe. <laughs> they, did, they did not believe. They didn't even believe in a, in a walking dead type resurrection at all. They didn't believe in anything like that. So they were saying, some of them, some who were in the church, even though they believed in the message that said that Jesus rose from the dead, they still were not believing, some of them, that he had been raised from the dead. So Paul actually, he starts off in verses 1 through 4 by just announcing to them that he's going to refresh their memories on something they already know. A lot of times, and I, I definitely I understand this, and, and I desire this myself, but a lot of times when, when we come to church, we don't just want to hear the same old thing, right? We want to hear something fresh, right? We want to hear something fresh, but we want to hear, we may not, hopefully we're not wanting to hear something new, because something new probably isn't true. But we might want to hear the, the, the things that we know in a fresh way. But Peter tells his people, and I think it's first Peter, that he was going to remind them of stuff they already knew. And Paul in this passage lets his people know from the beginning that he's going to tell them something that they already know about. We all, all, the, all of us who believe in Jesus, we know about the resurrection. I will tell you that my goal here is that we would, that in, in reviewing the resurrection, that we would have more of an appreciation for the resurrection and that we would have more of a functional participation in the resurrection as those who've been resurrected in Christ ourselves. So that is the goal. But Paul's, that's the goal for me. But Paul's goal was this. He started off in verse chapter one, excuse me, verse one. 
He says, now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you what, what was, excuse me, King James just intruding. For, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So Paul just lets them know. I'm just going to tell you stuff you already know. Look at the verbs in there. The verbs, the verbs are. So he's telling them, okay, uh, if you move uh, to like the middle of verse 1, that what he's preached they've already received. They've already taken their stand on it. They are being saved by it. So this isn't something new that they are hearing, but it's definitely something that's true. And it's something that they needed to apply to their mindset so that they would live in a way that glorify God. So that they wouldn't be saying that the message that they heard really wasn't true because there is no resurrection from the dead. So for our purposes, we're going to look at, we're going to look at this. There are two main points, and the second point has two-ish points. So it may be, end up being more. But the first uh, point is, uh, the first thing we want to look at is the consequences of no resurrection. And then we want to look at the consequences of the resurrection, but we want to look at it as the, the inconspicuous or the obvious consequences. And then there are some, I'm, excuse me, I'm sorry, I said inconspicuous and then I said obvious. I was testing y'all to see if y'all was awake. No, actually. So we're going to look at the, the, the incon, no, we're going to look at the conspicuous consequences of the resurrection, and then we're going to look at the inconspicuous, that which we don't see with, with our natural eye, but is true, and I think if we grasp that which is inconspicuous, that it will, it will, it can, it has the ability to transform how we live our everyday life. Now, only God can do that, so we'll try to just communicate this, and Lord, please bless. So, consequences of no resurrection. Verse 13, if there's no resurrection at all, if that's not even a possibility, then not even Christ has been raised. Verse 13, our proclamation, according to Paul, verse 14, is in vain. So is your faith, verse 14. Verse 15, we're not, not only is our proclamation in vain, but you know what? We're offending God. We are false witnesses about God because we're testifying wrongly about him that he raised up Christ from the dead when he did not do so because there is no resurrection from the dead. And verse 16, not even Christ is raised. So you see, Paul is just, He's just saying the same thing in different ways, right? He's just, and he's saying it one after the other. Verse 17, your faith is worthless. Verse 17, you're, you are still in your sins. Verse 18, the dead in Christ, those who believe the message, who have died, they have perished. There's no hope for them anymore because they're dead and there's no resurrection. And then, verse 19, if we have put our faith in this life, in Christ, in this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. 
because we're going through all of these transformational gymnastics without any hope of complete change. But we're going to try to work against ourselves. Because we, we will be, see, when we live, and we'll focus on this a little bit more later, but when we come to the Lord, we understand, remember, Christianity 101, Jesus said that if any man will follow me, first thing he or she needs to do is deny themselves. That's the first thing. So if you're living for Christ and he hasn't been raised from the dead, if your hope is only in this life, you mean this life you're just spending it denying yourself and there's no reward for that? There's nothing for that? Wow. Now, all right, this is a movie from a long time ago. I usually don't say what kind of movies I see just so nobody can just be offended or anything like that. But if you ever, if you know the dude Jim Carrey, and if you ever seen the movie, uh, um, uh, oh, man, he has a bunch of movies where he does this. Actually, it's funny. So let's say uh, Liar, Liar, the movie Liar, Liar. So he's, getting, he's going up. He's about to go into court. And, he, and his son, for his birthday, for those of you who don't know, this dude lies all the time. He never keeps his word. He tells his son, uh, he has a birthday party for his son, and his son, I think he misses the birthday party, so he asks, uh, um, he asks uh, he, his, the son, you know, makes the wish before he blows out the candle, and his wish is that his father never lies again. There's some movies now. So his father cannot lie, but he's like a habitual laugh for nothing type dude, right? So he's going in the court. Oh, no, or was he in the bathroom? Well, at some point, this dude, <laughs> at some point. I told you it was a long time ago, man. I'm sorry. Uh, so he goes somewhere. And he, yeah, thank you, the bathroom. And because he can't lie, he just starts beating himself up. I mean, for real, like it's like he's not even himself. He's like, Punching himself, he blacks his eye, he messes himself up. If our faith in Christ is only for this life, that's what we're doing. We're in the bathroom like, don't lie, don't lie, don't cheat. Because we're born separated from God, so those things come natural to us. Right, right. I'm not going to make the case for that, but those those things come natural to us. So if we are have faith in Christ for this life only, then we are to be pitied because we're denying ourselves for nothing. So those are the consequences if there is not a resurrection. But Paul says in verse 20, he says, but as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead. So these things that I've been telling you, that's just to help you grasp the implications of if Christ did not, if he was not raised from the dead, if there were no resurrection, then these would be the, 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 the consequences. But they're not the consequence because Christ has been raised from the dead. He, verse, verses 5 through 8, he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to over 500 Brothers and sisters, at one time, most of them are still alive. 
but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles. Last of all, he also appeared to me as one born at the wrong time. I know I mixed King James name, but you get it. He appeared to Paul as well. So Christ rose from the dead, and people saw him. People who, when Paul was writing, you could still ask, hey, did you see the risen Christ? And they would say, yes, we saw him. So they could be like this, like, like when I was just explaining the movie. Right, I didn't get all of the all of the details right, but because someone else saw the movie, Natalie, she could tell me, yeah, it was in the bathroom. Right? So you so so people who saw the risen Christ were still alive. He said, many of whom, most of whom, most of them are still alive. So if someone, the person in the church at Corinth, um, needed a testimony, an eyewitness. There was there were some people that Paul could direct them to. That that's the wonderful thing about about when these books uh, were written is that some people were still alive and could corroborate what was being written. And so the resurrection of Christ, you see, he did not just appear to his to the twelve, but in verse six he appeared to over five hundred people, or five hundred brothers and sisters at one time. My brother and my law and I were talking about this thing we saw. I'm not gonna go there. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna do that. But anyway, I corroborate. Hey, did you see that thing that happened in our neighborhood like a long time ago? This was before I was married to his sister, so this was over 30 years ago. And he's like, Yeah, I saw that. As a matter of fact. My dad, my cousin, he mentioned the cousin's name. We all saw it. And I was like, yeah, man, I remember. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember that. Sorry, I won't let y'all know what it was. But I just was able to corroborate that this unusual thing had happened because someone else was alive at the same time and actually saw it. So let's look at, again, like the things that would not, the consequences of the resurrection, the consequences of no resurrection. Let's look at them. A little bit differently. Let's look at what they mean since Christ has been raised from the dead. Since he was resurrected. That means, first of all, that he's been raised. Right? Verse 13. It means the proclamation that the apostles were given. That Paul was saying that it was not in vain. It means that faith, their faith was not in vain either. It meant that the apostles were not false witnesses about God, but they were accurate witnesses about what God has done. They were telling the truth that God raised Christ from the dead. And again, he, re, he, he repeats himself, right? So verse 16, it means that, that Christ has been raised. It means your faith is, is not worthless, is full of worth. And it means that you're not still in your sins. And it means that those who have died in Christ have not perished. They aren't just gone. It's not like, sorry, Coach Chris, it's not like Endgame where Thanos snaps and people just disappear. It's not like that. That's not what death is anymore because Christ has been risen. So the, 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 the most, the most, Inconspicuous. I'm just, I'm just, I'm confusing myself a little bit. Yeah, the most inconspicuous reality of the resurrection for us is verse 17. 
Our faith is not worthless, and we are not still in our sins, right? So even in my prayer, I mentioned how Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He died a criminal's death, which he did not deserve to, to, to die. Why did he not deserve that? Well, if we look at scripture, we understand that, 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 that death comes as a result of sin, that the wages of, of, of sin is death, right? But if you don't sin, then you don't deserve those wages. But he gets the wages anyway. But he's not taking on the wages for himself because he didn't sin. He's taking on the wages for us who have sinned. What's sin? Well, sin is when we disobey God um, in word, thought, or deed. That's right. In any way you live, you could be being still and you could still be sinning. Oh, goodness. That is why if there is no resurrection we are, and we have faith in Christ, we're to be pitied if it only applies to this life. Because you can sin without me seeing you do anything. You can be in your mind, I hate him. <laughs> and no one would ever know, right? Oh, I can't stand this. Nobody knows unless you're me. See, see, if you're me, like if you're me, then it'd be your facial expression, right? So I saw this. I saw this thing on Instagram or Twitter or somewhere where somebody had, Lord, it's not my tongue, but my face needs deliverance. Like I'm that person. It's not. I might control my tongue, but like my face gonna be like, <laughs> wow, that's. And then I'll try to get myself to stop. Pray for me. I'm, and I'm serious. That's not a joke. Sin can happen in, in all of those ways. Your deeds, your words, your thoughts. And no one, and God, he doesn't forget. The scripture says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's everybody. No one, no one can be self-righteous at all because you've sinned in your life. You sinned even before you knew what sinning was. We all did, not just you, me too. God's response to sin is to, is to punish the sin. The wonderful thing about being in Christ and having um, and not still being in our sins is that the punishment for our sin was placed on Jesus and in him. That consequence has come, and so we do not have to experience that consequence for ourselves. I know this is basic, but it's real. Because one day, we're all going to stand before the Lord. I read this, um, I saw this, I saw this article that I'm, I'm not going to read it, but I'll just tell you what it was about. It was, it was of someone who happened to be, uh, I forgot why he was hooked up to these machines, but they were measuring, like, his thought processes and stuff like that. They saw, like, brain activity. And so he had to be hooked up for some reason. And he suddenly had a heart attack. And he, and he did die. And the, the scientists said that they saw brain activity that showed, you know how people say your life lasts before your eyes? They saw brain activity that means that to them, his life lasts before his eyes. So he was getting memories from his life before he passed away. Now, 
I don't know what that is. I've heard about that. Um, and, um, and, and I mean, I don't know if that's, yeah, I don't, we don't know all of the mechanics of how God will judge us. I mean, that could be part of the judgment right there. Everything you've done flashing before your eyes and then you're right before him. Who knows? But this is the thing. If that is, that, the, the scriptures say that it's appointed unto human beings to die one time and then there's the judgment. So none of us will escape being judged by God. None of standing before God, right? We can escape being judged by God. We can escape being judged by God by being in Christ because he's already received the judgment of God, right? But none of us can escape having to give an account before God. All of us will have to do that. It's just a matter of like will your, will it be an account or will it be like judgment from God? And if you're in Christ, the judgment piece is gone. And that is the beauty of not being, not still being in your sins. Verse 17, the, the, the inconspicuous consequence of the resurrection is that we are no longer in our sins. Our sins have been forgiven. Old things have passed away, the scripture says. And, and our life is brand spanking new. And that that one sacrifice is applicable to us all. In the eternal realm, and I, I probably will repeat this, but in the eternal realm, it's as if the, the cosmic, it's not a game, but just the, the, the battle that's going on is really functionally over. And it's like a game. It's like a game that if you've seen where uh, the, 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 the one team is just demolishing the other team, and the starters just sit on the bench. But it's still time left in the game, so we got to play the game. We got to still have players on the, on the court or on the field, but the game is over. There's no way they can come back. We're just waiting for time to expire and the final whistle to blow, and it's game technically over. Game is functionally over because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And that's something we need to remember. We usually, we usually think of our sins being forgiven as the only or the most amplified to the Minimizing sometimes are the other benefits that we have in Christ. We usually focus on our not being in our sins in a way to the degree that we do not even think about other things that we have access to in the Lord. Functionally, we may have our moments like when we're singing in worship. We may have our moments like when we see a prayer answered. We might have our moments but in terms of functionally living every day in light of all that Christ has accomplished for us and what that means for us now that we're in him, I know I struggle with doing that. And I'll tell you how in a little while. And, and I'm just going to think that I'm just regular. So that's why I'm going to be sharing how because I, I have put something in place to help me remember not just that my name is Michael Dixon, not just that I'm from Landover, not just that I went to Bowie High School and graduated from there, not just that I'm a, a native Prince Georgian, not, not just those things, but to remember that I am a child of God. I am a child of, of, of the king who has 
who has secured my eternal salvation and has transformed me from not just being Michael Dixon, who is from Landover, Bowie High School. No, I'm more than that. Not because of what I think, but because of what Christ has done. Brothers and sisters, we need to, this is, this is a phrase that, that I keep hearing in, in the circles that I'm in. And, and it's because, um, because it's a new mentality that people need to put on, especially nonprofit organizations. A lot of times because uh, um, the, the money pool for nonprofits might be this and all the nonprofits are going for this. Then you think about like you, you think about a, you think from a, something called a scarcity mindset. So you're not thinking about all that's available to you. You're thinking about this one piece of pie instead of. Man, I don't know how pies are made. Let's say one cake. Or one batch of cookies. I know how they're made, right? So you have all the dough. You have, you not just, you don't just have the bowl of dough, but you have the things that go into, like, what makes the dough, right? And what makes, so you have access to, to all of that. That would be, that would be a, a, a having a bountiful mindset, right? I think we live our Christian life in a scarcity mindset, and we only look at the fact, and we should look at this, not to minimize this. Paul said this is what he emphasized to them, right, that, that, that Christ died for our sins. I'm not saying you go past that or you don't include that. I'm saying that is a, that is a key ingredient. But it's not, it's not everything. Like the ramifications of that for us is not what we focus on we just focus on the reality but the inconspicuous result of the resurrection for us is that we've been saved from our sins as we sing we have heaven to look forward to yes we battle we deny ourselves we do it hopefully for the most time joyfully sometimes it's not as joyful as others but we do deny ourselves we do take up our cross we follow christ because why because we have we are not still in our sins our sins don't have dominion over us. That's not what we're trying to live for. So, we, so when we have to, we confess our sins and we know that God is faithful through Christ to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all, un, all unrighteousness. But even in that verse right there, this is what I'm saying. Even in that verse right there, usually what we focus on is the fact that our sins are forgiven. But it doesn't just say that he'll just forgive us of our sins. It also says... That he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I know y'all, I know people don't want to hear that part right there. Oh, man. But that's what the verse says. I'm not, I'm just telling you what the verse says. And you know it. I hear people slaughtering them. Like, like, right? That's what the verse says. But, but how many times have you stopped? How many times have I stopped at, man, I'm going to confess this to the Lord. Get my forgiveness. Oh, man, all right, that's still forgiven. Good. But not pressed into that cleansing. I know I've done it. I know I've done it. So the inconspicuous consequence of the resurrection is that we believe that we will be resurrected because we're in Christ. And because of that, we're saying, you know what? No, we're not going to be dominated. We're not going to be dominated by our sins. We're not going to live for ourselves. We're going to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and we're going to follow Christ. But brothers and sisters, there are some inconspicuous consequences of the resurrection. And I'm, if you remember here, I'm going to take your mind back. I don't know the date. I can't remember the date. 
But I remember the statement because we had a good, nice, nice Q&A after that. Pastor Kirk, you remember when you said Jesus became something else after the resurrection? Romans 1. Okay. That, that's a bold statement right there, right? That's like, what are you saying? Jesus became something else. He, and I understand that. So I'm not going to say that. I'm going to just show you <laughs> some stuff. But before I show you what it says in other passages, no, I'm going to show you what it says in other passages. All right, Romans 1. <laughs> Romans 1, huh? <laughs> Romans 1, verses 1 through 4. Paul says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through, the, through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh. Okay. Verse 4. And was appointed to be the powerful son of God according to to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. So how was he appointed to be the powerful son of God according to the spirit of holiness? It says by, by, what does by mean? Like, like because of, like by the resurrection of the dead. I know, I know, I understand, I understand, I understand. So we're going to look at Daniel 7, 13 through 14. And this is one of Daniel's visions. But this is like, okay, we don't get to see this, right? We only know that this happened because Daniel was shown it by God. <laughs> so Daniel continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man, a designation of Jesus, right, was coming with the clouds. Jesus even said clouds of heaven. He even said this when he was before um, the Sanhedrin, right? He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. Let's, let's, let's think about this for a moment. So the Ancient of Days is God. God is sitting on his throne. And this son of man figure comes in and he's escorted to the Ancient of Days. He's, come this way, son. <laughs> he, he's presented to the Ancient of Days. Ah uh, man, if you if you if you read Revelation, then you see what happens in the in the courtroom of God. There's there's worship going on, but he's escorted. He's not told to bow down. He he's escorted to the ancient of days. Verse fourteen. He was given dominion, so he he's not just there as like a regular person. He's not a regular. He's not you or me, like us. We have to. What 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 happens when you? come into the presence of God. We've seen that over and over again, Old Testament, New Testament. You lose all strength. You have to have permission. Do not be afraid. You, you, you need to hear that before you can get up. He's escorted right up to the throne and he, 14, was given dominion and glory. Does God share his glory with anyone else? He doesn't. And a kingdom. So that those of every people, nation, and language could serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one 
that will not be destroyed. All of the others in the vision that Daniel had, their kingdoms are temporary. Their kingdoms are limited to this earth. But this one is giving, given dominion and glory and a kingdom um, where everyone is going to serve him. His dominion is everlasting and will not pass away. Okay, all right, all right, last, last one. I hope this, this helps. I think this is like a, a clincher. This is like the, if you like the Washington Nationals, Juan Soto, man, Juan Soto. He hit a home run all the way to the river in, 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 in Pittsburgh the other day. I know a lot of people don't mess with baseball, but, but anyway. Um, Revelation 5.5. 5. This is where they're, they're looking for someone to, to take the, 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 the scroll, right? They're looking for someone, and they find no one. And then John, he weeps because there's no one anywhere on heaven, under the heavens, on the sea, anywhere, nobody, anywhere. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah. All right, who's the lion from the tribe of Judah? Just, just so I just want to make sure we're on the same page. The root of David, listen, has conquered. And then what, did, what, did, what are the next two words? Huh? So that, so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So once again, in the courtroom, throne room, whatever you want to call it, before God himself, there's one who's able to take, after looking all over the place, finding no one. And here comes the lamb who was slain. And he's able not only to take the scroll, but he's able to open each seal, each of the seven seals, meaning that he has authority over all of them, that he's in charge of them. Once he opens them, this is Revelation, once he opens them, even the, 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 the four horsemen that come, they have to be invited to come. Then they have parameters on what they can do. Why? Because they can only do so much. Meaning that when he says, you know, touch this, touch this, and touch this, but don't touch the wine. Those are the limitations. So we're not talking about God. We're talking about submitted beings who are under God's control. The lamb that was slain, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, which Paul mentions in Romans 1, is able to open the scroll. Why is he able to open the scroll? He's able to open it because he has conquered, right? That's what it says. Has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals, which would lead us to believe that until he conquered, he wasn't going to be given the seal, the, the scroll, right? Which means there's a, there's a, there's a mysterious level. I, don't, I can't explain it. I'm just saying what I, what I see. So in the heavenlies, Christ has authority over everything. I call it conspicuous because we don't see that right now, right? We don't see everything under his feet. We don't see, we see people not, not with him. We see people like, uh, like just cursing him. We see people doing all kinds of things. But just so we know who Christ is, so we remember 
who he is, not just that he died for our sins, but that he, because he died for our sins and rose from the dead, he was given a kingdom, he has everlasting dominion, all kinds of people are going to be worshiping him. That's why it's beautiful to see our congregation, all types of people are here, but this is just a small snapshot of what it's going to be in heaven one day. Because, why? Not because everybody's so good, but because he is their king. He has, he has ushered in a kingdom whereby people from all ages doesn't matter if you're a woman or a man, a girl or a boy. It doesn't matter to him. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is and where your people come from. They can come from Landover or they can come from wherever. He came from Nazareth. And they wondered, could anything good come out of it? See, that's what the, that's, that's what the devil wants to, to create, where nothing good can come out. But Christ comes and he conquers so that something good can come out of something that looks so bad. That's why we call Good Friday, Good Friday. Not because it was like, man, man we really like that. No, it was not because of that. No, but because of what it accomplished was great. And so we celebrate Good Friday. But if you imagine being the disciples, that wasn't a good day. And yesterday wasn't a good day. But today was a glorious day. And they didn't see that he was a king. I mean, they did on one level, but they didn't see the degree to which his kingdom is his, his kingdom boundaries are. There are no boundaries. There are no boundaries. There are no boundaries. No boundaries means that if you are struggling in your marriage, there's no boundaries. It means that if you're struggling in parenting, there are no boundaries. It means that if you're struggling with a particular sin, there are no even if it's a sin that some would call a life-dominating sin, there are no boundaries. But again, a scarcity mindset would think that there's boundaries. Would think, oh, man, I always, I just can't. Good, because you cannot alone, but you serve a king who can do any and everything he pleases and who wants you, wants me to grow. And so his kingdom has no boundaries. Remember that. Remember that when you're praying for healing. I know some people might have been uncomfortable with, I'm healed, I'm healed. Hey, man. I know, I know everybody's not going to be here, but that's, that's okay. I'm going to say it anyway. I think we need to be in places and spaces where, like, if God doesn't show up, like, we look like complete fools. <laughs> I know, I know you ain't trying to do that. I'm saying it, and I'm not always trying to do that. I have to remind myself, okay, well, I ain't trying to do that. But I think trusting God means believing him. In God's size ways. Not just believing him for Mike's size way. Or whoever the most mature Christian you know. Grandma's size way. Or what you. It, no. God is bigger than that. And Christ has received the kingdom from God. And as we will read when we close. We'll see that, that God has given Christ everything. And Christ will one day, when all of the 
enemies are done away with, he will give back to God that which God has given him. See, this is what it, what it, I'm getting ahead of myself. But I will say this, because God gave, well, no, I should read this. So this is what it says in, in, in 15, verse 45, then I'm going to skip to uh, 47. It says, so it is written, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust, the second man is from heaven. Like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. The key word here is man. God had given man authority, right? He had given man the responsibility after, yeah, after, after Christ talks about seeing Satan fall from heaven as lightning, being cast down like lightning, right? He was cast down to earth. Where Satan is, God decides he's going to establish a little garden where from that garden he's going to subdue. He's going to take over the earth. He's going to show his glory by making something lesser than Satan and lesser than the angels and use that humanity to further his purposes and take over. So you are part and I, we're part of a takeover mission. That's what we're part of. I know we don't see that. It don't feel like it. But that's what we are, and that's part of what I'm talking about, like not, not, thinking, not thinking correctly, right, or not thinking fully, fully, fully. Um, so, so when mankind decides to give relinquished control to Satan, then it's his. Until Christ comes and conquers so that it's his. So it is his now. Again, remember, we already said, there's still time on the clock, but the game really is over. Right? Bench players might be in. I mean, as you know, the Lord is working through us now. You know what I'm saying? That's right. We're in now. You know what I'm saying? It's our time now. Give me the ball. Um, don't shoot. Don't shoot. Oh, good shot. Good shot. Good shot. So the reason why man is important is because man gave it away. So man had to get it back. Therefore, he had to be fully man. But he's more than that. He's fully God also. So he can be escorted up to the Ancient of Days, right? And be given the kingdom and be entrusted with the kingdom because he's fully God as well. But for our purposes... And in the resurrection, because God doesn't need to be res- God doesn't need to be resurrected. It's impossible for God Himself to die. But being fully man in His humanity, obviously Jesus died and was raised. So His being a man is of a man is of utmost importance because a man has to receive the kingdom. So the Son of Man is who's escorted in the throne room. Of God. And Jesus, the, he wasn't just the lion of Judah, but he wasn't less than that. He's 
not just the root of David. He is also the lamb that was slain. And so because he conquered, he's able to take authority over everything. And he has his kingdom. Now, look at what Romans 6 says about us. Romans 6, 4 says, therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Colossians 1, 3 says, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. So this, this, you can't, my mom, I remember Friday, I was probably 13 when my mom got saved. And I remember she didn't like wear any t-shirt that says, I just, I know Jesus now. She didn't do that. She didn't come make a bold announcement in our house. But the way she lived just changed. Like she did like stop cussing like all together. She stopped drinking all together. She started acting like nice to other people. Uh, she, she wasn't, you know, mean to, to me, even though she was stern. But she wasn't like mean. But 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 she but she would, you know, how we were talking about we could sin with what we say. She didn't do that anymore. My brother, I remember my brother and I. We sat across, and we didn't. We, we had non we non communicative, but we were still like, hey man, what happened to mom? Well, what happened to her was something we couldn't see. She had been baptized with Jesus. She had been translated from one kingdom to the other. We can't see those kingdoms. We have to have certain eyes to be able to recognize though that the difference between the kingdoms. But at that time, we didn't have eyes. We were like, man, what's going on? Did, is this invasion of the body snatchers? Like, what's this? What happened? Like, she, it's mom, but it's not mom. What's up, man? She was in Christ now. You and I, we don't, you know, I think it's interesting when somebody may say, like, hey, man, when did you get saved? I can give them a date, but I can see how God was working, like, well before that date. It's like, man, you know, the Lord, man, and I respond, okay, was that the date? And, and, and it, it becomes less and less clear as time goes on, actually, like, man, was, when did I get saved? I don't know. But like Spurgeon said, just because a man can't tell you his birthday doesn't mean that he's not alive. So, like, it's, 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 it's all right. You know, I'm cool with that. But the point is, we, we, we don't see, like, we don't, we don't see Jesus with Nicodemus, right? How can a man be born again? Man, do I need to explain this to you? Right? We, we don't see with our natural eyes. But the reality is the same, nevertheless, that we're translated from one kingdom to the other. So here's some ways that I think we took. So just, just think about this as, as we begin to close, a long Pauline close, though. Um, so, so it won't be like in the next three sentences. Um, but, but from the time you go to school, if you went to public school, one of the first things you learn to do. Pledge allegiance to the flag of the United. Now, I'm, you might not even know you live in the United States, right? You might not have ever seen a flag in your life, but you you are taught to pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. And to the, I still know it, and I haven't had to say it in a long, 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 long time, right? At every sporting event, oh, say can you, right? You, you hit, you, the, 
the, the, the, the, the indoctrination of being a citizen of the United States is happening from the time you are youngin. How does the indoctrination into the kingdom of God look in your life? It's taken me a while to figure, figure that out. I mean, and, and it can look like, okay, I read my Bible every day, it looks, or I read my Bible most days, or I pray. It can, it can look like different things. Um, it can look like different things. But if we are not some kind of way indoctrinating ourselves to this new kingdom in which we live, we're just going to be, we're going to be swerving. We're going to be driving like we drunk in, 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 in the kingdom, right? Swerving, you know, hey, you think we're going straight. All right, uh, turns coming up. Ah, turn, 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 turn. You know, we're going to be, uh, so, so we're going to be like that. But, but when we indoctrinate ourselves, when we, as uh, Romans 12 says, renew our minds, then we can ensure that our identity is found more in Christ than it is in Mike. You put your name in the blank, right? So when someone shares a hopeless situation with me, I definitely can, can mourn with those who mourn. I can rejoice. I can weep with those who weep, and, and I can rejoice with those who rejoice. I can do that. But I'm not just going to do that. I am going to pray. I am going to insert God into this situation. And then whatever God does is up to him. But I do not believe, and I hope we, none of us believes, because we're part of a takeover mission, right? I hope we do not believe that there are any such things as coincidences in our lives. That there's not purpose in everything that happens in our life from what school we might go to, what neighborhood we live in, who our neighbors are, who our relatives are, all of these things can be just seen as just, oh, it's just that. But it's more than that for you. Yeah, if you're in Christ, it's, it's more than that for you. Now, you may not know what it is. You may not know, okay, is this, are these neighbors going to be like a salvation story or are they going to be a story of perseverance for me? Like what, you don't know that, right? You don't know. But Let's make sure that we are bringing our kingdom identity into every sphere of life, into our money, into our schooling, education, into our marriages, our parenting, into our leisure, all, everything. Let's increasingly make sure that that's what's happening. But that will not happen if we have not embraced the identity that we are in Christ. I would say, I don't have time to, time to, um, to, to read it, um, but, but, but Ephesians is a great book. If you haven't, like, interacted with your identity in a, in a while, check Ephesians out. It's going to tell you some great things about who you are in Christ. This is going to, that, that phrase, in Christ, through Christ, all of that, you link to him, it's going to be there. It's going to be there. So read that on your, on your off time and see, like, what your identity should look like. But your identity, why, why did my mom's actions look different? It looked different because her identity changed, right? Um, why, why, do, why do oranges come on some trees and apples on another? Well, it's because of what the tree really, what the seed was, right? It's because of where it comes from, right? So the fruit comes from something else. It, comes, it doesn't just come on its own, right? So the, the actions that we have as believers, that we have as believers, should be in conjunction with the Lord. And this is how I, this is one of the ways I indoctrinate myself. This is what I do. So, all right, uh, 1 Corinthians 8. Where it talks about, you know what, it's talking about meat, sacrifice to idols, but it has this great little, they call it like the New Testament Shema. It's 
I won't explain what the Shema is, but if you know what it is, they call it the New Testament Shema. Um, so, so it talks about how, how for us, there's one God. Like, there might be many gods that people worship, but for us, there's just one. And he's God the Father. Um, all things exist for him, and we exist for him. So we means me. So, okay, so for me, I'm interacting with, okay, I exist for him. Okay, so if I exist for him, if I exist for him, that means that this day that I get to live, April 17th, 2022, like it's supposed to be his, whatever comes through this because I exist for him. Okay, and then whatever I own, that also is his. And sometimes it's like, yes, it belongs to him. And sometimes it's like, it belongs to him, so I got to do this. For me, that's how it is sometimes. But that's me indoctrinating myself. Another one, you've, you've heard me say these things over, over, over the course of time here and there. Uh, Romans chapter 14. No one lives to himself. No one is what it says. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord. That's another way. That is something I pray practically every day. Why? Because I need to, as the song says, tune my heart to sing his praise. Right? So, so I, will, I, will, I will let myself know that. I will remind myself. Because 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says that whether we eat or whether we drink or whatever we do, we're to do it all to the glory of God. So because we're in Christ, there's nothing that, we, that is divorced from the glory of God for us. So if we're... If we're uh, yeah, whoever needs somebody might need this because this came from out of nowhere. But if you're driving, it's supposed to be to the glory of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's supposed to be for the glory of God. It might be that this person just, just put themselves in a bind by, like, speeding up on the shoulder, and the shoulder's about to run out, and they, got, they put their blinker on, and they want to get in front of me, but it's for the glory of God, not my glory, Lord, so I let them over. Oh, I want to let them over, Lord. This is your car, oh, Lord. Okay, I let them over. See, that's what I mean by, by, you know, the fighting against yourself. Like, hey. That's how it is for me. I, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. That's wild to share that with people. But anyway, that's how it is. Just like that, that fast. Yeah, it can be. It be, yeah. There's moments of, ah, but then there's moments of, oh. Like, man. But whatever we do. Whatever we do, whatever, when I say whatever, I do mean whatever. I mean like giving your spouse a kiss before you leave can be for the glory of God. Holding the door open for someone coming in can be for the glory of God. Saying hello to other people can be for the glory of God. Just being compassionate to someone, I hope it don't come off, I hear that too, can be for the glory of God. There's not anything that we do that cannot be for the glory of God. And so, even when we're around other people, it should be, hey, how can I express, how can the glory of God come through me in this situation? If I'm at Parkdale High School and 
if I'm just out and about or if I'm at my mom's house or wherever, like how can what I do be for the glory of God? The reason that we need to think that way is because we actually have the ability to do everything for the glory of God. That's what it means to be in him. And so when we think of the resurrection, it's surely it's an event. <laughs> no event like it. But the ramifications are for a lifetime, right? And so the way in which we live shouldn't be like, you know, I think they're, they're probably like three times that people probably feel pressure to come to church. This is one of those days. Mother's Day is another one. You know, I'm around church mama, you know what I'm saying? Um, and then around Christmas time, that, 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 those are the three times people are like, oh, man, those are events, though. God invites us into so much more than an event. He invites us into his kingdom. He's, a kingdom has been secured by Christ so that whether we like Christian Burns playing that golf, it can be for the glory of God. Whether Regardless of what we're doing, everything we do can be for his glory. The question for us is, do we have that mindset that, yeah, even fixing this meal for this couple that just had a baby, that's for the glory of God. It may not feel like it, look like it, but it is, right? Sending a text to someone can be for the glory of God. So the resurrection is not just, oh, I'm saved from my sins. Thank God, yes, we are saved from our sins. But we're not just, but, but we're still here. We didn't get saved from our sins. And then, oh, yeah, there's no one saved from sins. It's not like we're, we're the northern lights or something like that. And that means like, oh, every time you see a light, somebody got saved. No, it's not. No, we're still here. We're still on the battlefield. And it's a battle for glory. And, it, and it's like, how will God's glory be made manifest through us is the question for each of us. It starts with indoctrinating ourselves, renewing our minds. So that we know what it means to be a person of God. People know sort of what it means to be an American. You hear things over the years that you, oh, okay, that's what it means. That's what we stand for. That's what we're about. But we can miss that as believers. So I trust and I pray that this Easter resurrection, Sunday, whatever you call it, when we highlight that Jesus has rose, risen from the dead, that we understand that, man, We're living for his glory. And we're going to do things like pray for each other and keep praying even when we don't see the result we wanted. We're going to keep praying. I think prayer is one of the biggest ways in which we see how we're living or not living in terms of kingdom dynamics. But I would encourage you, make sure in your prayer life that you are first and foremost recalibrating your identity in him so that the actions that flow from you in your life are those that are for his glory, for his glory. Because this is how 1 Corinthians 15 closes out, beginning in verse 15. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment 
in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. That's when Jesus returns. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we, those who are still here, we will be changed. For this corruptible body, the one that we have to deny, right, must be incorruptibility. Excuse me, must be clothed with incorruptibility. And this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, this is a a result of the resurrection, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. We know that those who are in Christ have been freed from the law. Verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The resurrection reminds us that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. It can't be stopped. Some way it's going to be for his glory. And if we're living for his glory, that should be good enough for us because we're in him and our life is about him. Whether we live or whether we die, our life is his. So let us live our lives as resurrected lives, meaning that we're living for the glory of God. Whether we're eating, drinking, whatever we're doing, it's for his glory. He secured that kingdom for us so that we can live as citizens in that kingdom for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to be your children. We thank you for allowing us to be those who have been transferred from one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of light. We thank you, Lord, for just giving us the gift of eternal life. We thank you for allowing us. We thank you for allowing us to be those who have know what it's like to not be serving you, but to know what it's like to serve you. We pray that you would help us to live resurrected lives. We pray that the, 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 the conspicuous realities of what you've accomplished, Lord, that they would resonate in our minds so that that which we can do that's obvious will be done for you and for you alone. And, Lord, where it can't be done for and for you alone right now, would you mature us? Would you grow us? Would you help us to be conformed into your image, transformed into the likeness of you, Lord, as we do our part? to submit to you, to worship you, to read about you, to pray to you, to be like you. Thank you so much. You be glorified, King Jesus, for you are worthy not only to receive our worship verbally, but the worship of our lives eternally. In your name we pray, Jesus. And we thank you, Father. Amen, amen, and amen. Thank you, Mike, for that word. And I, I wish you would have told him the story. Just go ahead and say you saw a UFO, bro. I know I saw one. Me and my friend walking. I was walking them home. It was dark, late at night. This light came out of nowhere. And it wasn't the Lord. And we 
he broke the Guinness Book of World Records for duo, the fastest duo to go from point A to point B. And when I got to his house and I walked back home, I took the long way. As we, as we prepare to take communion, just one, one thing just to encourage you, you all in conjunction with what Mike just taught, as many of you know this from the, from the resurrection narrative, but if you notice, there was a theme in the resurrection that you can overlook it if you just read through it. And there are a couple of occasions where Jesus is with the disciples, with people that know him, but they cannot recognize him. They cannot see him. They, they believe it's him, but they're not sure. So in John 20, after John 21, after Jesus is on the shore and he tells the disciples to cast your net into the water. And then when they do it, they pull up all these fish. And then John leans over and says to Peter, it is the Lord. And so Peter dives in and swims to the shore. And when they get to the shore, Jesus says, do you guys have any fish? Knowing they just got a big net of fish, they just yelled at him. And so they start eating. And the, and the scripture says this. This is what it says. It says, no one. It said, come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. You see, for some reason, they didn't clearly recognize him. They just believed it was the Lord. And then in Luke 24, Jesus is walking with two disciples. And he's explaining, they're explaining to him as if he doesn't know all that just happened about him dying. And he was with them and it said they were prevented from seeing him. So they explain all this stuff, disappointed, and then Jesus explains to them through the scriptures that he was to be crucified. And then it says this in Luke 24. It says, verse 30, as he was, it was as he's reclined at the table that he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. So here you have the last time that Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it was when he said, do this in remembrance of me. But now in this scene, they're walking with Jesus. They can't even see him until he breaks the bread, blesses it, and then they realize this is Jesus. So what does that have to do with, in conjunction with what Mike said and what for us? This is an encouragement because there are some people in this room who may not be able to see Jesus, even though he's right in front of them. And we pray and hope that someday, if not today, that you will see Jesus. But for those of us that do, you only see Jesus after the resurrection because he allows you to. You see, these disciples knew him when Mary came to the temple, to the tomb, and she heard Jesus talking. He said, who are you looking for? She didn't recognize his voice. And then he said, Mary. Then she turned around and realized it's the Lord. If you recognize Jesus today, it is to the glory of God. And it is because he has allowed you 
to see. So today as we take this, 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 this wafer that represents the body of Jesus that was broken, and he, he broke and blessed and told his disciples to do this in remembrance of me, be encouraged, brothers and sisters, that you don't know this because it is familiar to you because the disciples who walked with Jesus for years, who heard all of his teachings, who did all of his miracles, remember these same disciples were given his spirit to be able to cast out demons in his name. They couldn't recognize him until he allowed them to. So if you see Jesus this morning, if you recognize him and you worship him, it's not because you're familiar with this or because you grew up in a church home. It's because he allowed you to see. And when we're allowed to see and worship, then we glorify God by how we drive. We glorify God by not choking this person out. You can do that for the glory of God. I've not choked many out the glory of God. And there have been times I've deserved to get choked out. Only God knows. And you know what? Everyone in this room deserves to be choked out by God for his glory. But instead, he's allowed us to see him after the resurrection. So, Father, we, we take this wafer that does not taste good to most of us. But we don't take this because we're looking for some kind of a meal, but for to remember that your body was broken. For you say there will be a marriage feast in heaven. Lord, we are grateful and encouraged. The only reason why we get to see this, that we see this, is not because we've heard this before, but because you're allowing us to. So as we eat this together, may you be glorified, and may we glorify you as Mike taught us. In your name we pray. Let's eat together.